Wednesday, July 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Options, Jim Gillies, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Canada Week continues with Jim Gillies. Hooray! All Gillies all week, people. Uh, guys, we have got earnings from Bank of America and Intel, but uh, something we normally kick off Motley Fool Money Radio Show with, we're going to start with the big macro, and that's housing. Housing starts in June, rose nearly 7%. It's the highest in four years. Uh, and I was saying, Jim, uh, right before we started taping, if if you started out the year betting on a housing comeback and bought the likes of Toll Brothers, D.R. Horton, KB Homes, you're doing pretty well because all three of those stocks are up around 50% year mm-hmm. to date. How big a deal is this housing information? You know, the headline on USA Today, you know, highest in four That's years. a newspaper we have in America. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I heard. Just I, I've seen it even. Um, how big a deal is this? Uh, I think it's, uh, it's a good start. I've been hearing uh, and reading articles on the recovery of the housing market since uh, pretty much middle of 2008. So when the, when the bubble really started bursting, yeah. uh, there's a certain, uh, you know, a certain amount of, well, they've finally been right. Uh, I think what the seasonally adjusted rate of housing starts has been uh, just over half a million for a while, and, and I've read a number of stats that uh, says you know basically you need about uh, one million to keep up with housing, you know, new home, new uh, household formation, uh, replacement rate, what have you. So it's a good start. Uh, I think you'd like to see a few more months slash quarters before you can predict, predict a trend, but certainly uh, you know the home builders finally are uh, looking like they've got some life in them. Joe, what do you think? I would agree with all of that. And you know what I hate about having Jim on the show is we agree on so much (laughs) that it it takes away from the contrary opinions. Do you want Um, to try and get Ron Gross on tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get Ron on here. We'll have a Um, throwdown on something, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. It's a good start. There have been a lot of false starts, but there is, you know, eventually this coiled spring of demand for new homes is going to actually spring there have been a lot of false starts. I think we're going to see more of them. But when you start seeing more of these little data points piling up, I think that bodes pretty well. And you know, it's important to remember that it's not just home builders that benefit from you know construction rebound. There are a whole lot of companies that benefit from that in a very broad sense. And it's just the same way that you know a housing slowdown hurt the overall economy, a housing ramp up would really have huge ramifications for everyone. Is there a, a stock in particular? that you guys are watching or think investors should be watching in this regard? Because we've talked before about not, not so much the home builders, but stocks that are maybe one step removed, and that's the Home Depots and Lowe's of the world. Uh, but Jim, what about you? What's, what's a stock to watch? Well, I, I suppose I can tout my favorite home builder. Oh, by all yes, means. I, yes, I have one. Um, and I think it's interesting, uh, especially to look at the, you say all these home builders are up 50% since the start of the year. But where are they versus four years ago? I mean, I think right. there's been it's been a lot of lean years for these guys. First of all, in investors and the home builders. Uh, but there's a there's a home builder that doesn't get a lot of press. It's called NVR. Uh, it has a uh, price tag north of eight hundred and fifty dollars a share, which does tend to drive away a lot of uh, retail investors. Not not big fans of stock splits over there at NVR. They, they're not. I mean, th- this was one of the really interesting stories of the of the prior housing boom slash bubble because from nineteen ninety five to two thousand five, this was this was a ninety bagger and nobody noticed. It went from like wow, yeah, it went from like ten bucks a share to nine hundred dollars a share, and part of that was driven by 
the fact that they you know they were building houses in a yep. very hot sector. Uh, part of that was built by the fact that uh, they plowed every penny of that they made in free cash flow into buying their own shares back, and so getting that extra earnings boost. A lot of that was driven because they have a substantial option overhang. They've given fat option grants to every member, it seems, of the company. Um, but th- one of their one of their particular particularities is they uh, they didn't have a very large. Uh, land or housing inventory. They specialize in land options. So when the market went south and all these other builders had all this land that was suddenly worth a lot less on their balance sheet and taking write-offs, NVR just let the options expire and just sat there and said, well, we'll take our cash, we'll pay down our debt, we'll buy some more shares, we'll keep making what houses we can. And they soldiered through. I think they bottomed at about 320 bucks in the worst of the credit crisis. Today they're back at 860 870 and uh, you know, they've got half the share count they had uh, five years ago, uh, a third the share count they had 15 years ago. So interesting look if you're not scared away by uh, $850 stock prices, I suppose. Okay, Joe, what about you? Mine will be shorter. <laughs> uh, one I like is waste management. Ooh. It's not a direct play on housing, but it's it's a degree away. And anyone who's not familiar, they haul a lot of trash. Odds mm-hmm. are you've seen them. They're a huge waste hauling company, but they also own a lot of landfills. And they also collect trash from construction sites, too. And that's a big part of the business. And construction activity is slowed, so there's just a lot less garbage for them to haul. And commercial activity is slowed. So restaurants, retailers just have fewer you know, bits of trash they're throwing away, less stuff for them to haul. I think when construction does turn a corner, you're going to see them come back. And there's a good bit of leverage in the business, operating leverage. And I think profits will probably boost nicely. And the market isn't expecting much. I have nothing to add. Oh, okay. <laughs> You gave a little God, you, I love you. <laughs> uh, Bank of America made $2.1 billion in the second quarter. Earnings came in better than expected. So, Jim, I have to ask, why are shares down a couple of percentage points this morning? Well, the headline was, you know, they beat on earnings. But when you read through the press release and you see, I think they beat by $0.05, cents, but then you also see that their, uh, their loan-lost reserves are the lowest they've been since pre-credit crisis. You kind of go, well, what if there was an extra couple hundred million on there? That that beat on earnings goes away real quick. Uh, they did miss on revenues, but again, it's such a it's it's a kind of a mugs game to predict this kind of thing. A mugs game, a fools game. I don't. I never have you ever heard no? mugs game before. No, <laughs> Canuckies, I suppose. Um, you know, it's 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 a. Quite, I mean, they still got a lot of issues. You know, they're uh, one of the big issues right now is they're still getting a lot of mortgage putbacks to them right now. So I think there's something like twenty three, twenty four billion dollars in mortgages that these mortgage bond investors are saying you shouldn't have sold to us. No responsibility there, but that's I think that's up about two hundred fifty percent from a year ago. And so maybe they have to buy a bunch of the stuff back. So maybe there's some more uh, shoes to drop. And so, I mean, it's this is like my 17th most interesting bank. I do so. want to hear the first 16. <laughs> the first 16. Goldman. Uh, yeah, Goldman, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, uh, AIG is not a bank, but it's a financial. Mm. Um, all the Canadian banks. I mean, like, you know, there, there's if, if you want to play in the financial space, I think there's so many more better decisions or better choices you can make than, than going right for – Bank of America. Goldman Sachs aside, do you agree with that, Joe? I do agree. I really like Wells Fargo. I really like Goldman. I really like JPM. I own all three of those. I really like AIG, uh, which I think most investors have just written off because they assume it's still completely a terrible business. But I think it's very cheap, and they're doing a nice job of streamlining and simplifying. Yeah. Uh, you if know, you like AIG, I mean, just seeing anything <clears throat> that uh, their CEO uh, 
than Moshe has done is, is I yeah. mean, he is fantastic. Yeah, and anyone who hasn't been paying attention, you know, AIG has sold off a lot of non-core assets. The government's been unloading at stake. They're probably going to exit at a profit. And compare that to Bank of America, which, you know, if you haven't been keeping up, you might assume they're in similar boats, but that's definitely not the case. AIG is much less hairy. And that said, B of A is selling at about 0.38 book value, which is real cheap. I think something more like 1, 1.1 is reasonable. Now, it's going to be a bumpy ride to, to get there, and they may have to issue some stock along the way. But you know, I think B of A is a pretty nice payoff if you're willing to stick around. But I think there are also better opportunities like a Goldman or like an AIG, which both of those, you know, not simple investment theses right, on their right. own, but still simpler than B of A and offer a lot of upside. Uh, it, I mean, I, when I hear you say stuff like that, and knowing you as the value guy that you are, it seems like Bank of America, just on paper, would be an attractive, real cheap, yeah, an attractive I mean, opportunity. And and is it is it the management? Like, what's what's it's, number it's one? It's the acquisition history. W- yeah, is that it? That's yeah. number one. Well, in they're, your they're, list? they're still choking on the countrywide financial acquisition from two thousand and eight. That I mean, the the mortgages they bought and the mortgage obligations that they that they had when they took over that company. I mean, nobody still to this day really knows how bad it is. And I talked earlier just the the mortgage putbacks that they're getting now and people seeking, you know to be paid back for making a bad investment decision. So when people like me rip on a company like Cisco Systems for the their terrible acquisition of the flip cam that they, you know, turned around 2 years later and just folded and took a I don't know a, a several hundred million dollar loss on, it sounds like that pales in comparison to the countrywide acquisition. Yes. Yeah, countrywide was a catastrophic fail. Intel's second quarter earnings came in better than expected, but the chipmaker cut its full year forecast. Shares up about 3% this morning. Joe, what do you think? It's kind of a mixed bag there. Yeah, well, nice reminder, it's all about expectations. If you have a bad result, but you still beat those low expectations, your stock will go up, and that's what happened here. I think it's a little bit spooky to see so many companies missing on revenue this earnings season. That's been a common theme, but they're beating on earnings, which means they're making it up through cost-cutting. One of the best ways to save at the corporate level is to cut back on your IT budget. So, for example, you know, your head of IT might say, well, we've had these PCs an average of three years. We want to get new ones. You know what? It probably works just fine. Why don't we put that off a year? And that's why you're going to see some some pullbacks on PC sales, I think, at the corporate level. And that's going to hurt HP. It's going to hurt Intel. It's going to hurt Dell. And those stocks are all up today because people don't seem to think it will be as bad as they'd expected. But you know, ultimately, I, I think HP and Dell are still horrendous value traps. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it could be a bumpy ride because of that. I want to get to the ripple effect of, of Intel's earnings. Oh, and Microsoft, in, in, of course. Of course. Uh, I want to get to that in just a second. But first, let, uh, I want to take a step back, and because we're still at the front end of earnings season here. Uh, we've had six uh, of the Dow stocks report earnings. All six have beaten expectations. Uh, so far, uh, 77% of companies that have reported so far have beaten uh, estimates. Um, is this one of those things that investors should just take with a couple of grains of salt when that comes in as the top you know, headline, like, oh, they beat expectations? Is, is basically every company now geared from a communication standpoint to just do whatever they can to set it up during the quarter so that when they report earnings, they're going to be able to say, well, we beat expectations. 
Yeah, well, management... Okay, so the way the game works is that sell-side analysts are the people on Wall Street who cover companies for the major banks, and they get their guidance from companies who issue company guidance and say, here's what we think we'll do. And, you know, a lot of these guys make good faith efforts to actually come up with original thoughts and do their own math, and they'll put out their own estimates, and the average of that is what's used as, you know, the Wall Street estimate, right? Well, of course, management has an incentive to kind of lowball continuously. Sure. And when they do that, you know, they ultimately kind of drag down the estimates of people putting out estimates on Wall Street. And it sets yourself up to where you're – it's kind of like if you were able to create your own expectations in your job at work and you could just move the goalpost to whatever you wanted, <laughs> you would always put it a little bit lower than what you thought so you could, you know, under-promise and over-deliver. And that's pretty much the game. So anytime someone misses, that's terrible news because, you know, like Jim was saying with uh, – Bank of America releasing some reserves. You know, there are all sorts of games that companies can play that are within the rules and totally legal just to hit earnings. So anytime someone misses, that means that things really just didn't go very well. Yeah, what's even better is the earnings miss followed by the withdrawal of guidance. That's always that's mm, the that's, that's the, that we call that the super value play from last week. But, uh, I get very uninterested in a lot of these earn beat expectations. I mean, we do repeat it and we do talk about it a little bit on uh, our message boards or, or what have you. But, you know, I think I'm more a lot more interested in what did the company itself do? How did that compare against what they've priorly done? You know, how much cash have they generated? What are their corporate moves doing? You know, I mean, you forget, you know, a day later whether it was beat expectations right. or not. And, you know, just really are they performing to what I think they're going to perform to? So. Yeah. Back to Intel. Um, as I said, it's the leading chip maker in the world. Uh, AMD, another chip maker. If you're an AMD shareholder, how nervous are you that um, the number one chip maker in the world just cut their guidance? Well, AMD uh, already cut their guidance. Well, I'm just I'm just wondering, yeah. you know, if if I'm a Dell shareholder, which I'm not, or you know, or HP, which I'm not, you know, these PC <laughs> makers. This you know that is one of the narratives in the media over the last twenty four hours. If Intel is cutting its forecast, then a logical uh, ripple effect is that PC sales are just going to drop. So don't don't even look for them to to increase. Is that fair? Is that is that you know reasonable to think? Or if you're Dell, are you saying no? We're going to come out. We're actually going to do even better than you think. Yeah, it's reasonable to think. It's just like if how uh, housing applications or permits go down, it's reasonable to think eventually you see fewer homes popping up. I, I think that's reasonable to kind of extrapolate that as a leading indicator. You know, getting back to AMD, I think they have, if I'm an AMD investor, which I am not, uh, I would be much more concerned about just the larger competitive dynamics of how Intel is just owning them and the shift to mobile. And those are the things I would be worried about, not yeah. so much a quarterly blip. Do you have a company yet to report earnings that you are particularly interested in? I'm talking number one on your list. Either it could be the earnings or it could be, I can't wait to hear what the CEO or CFO has to say about X, Y, and Z. What's the company you're watching most closely for the rest of earnings season? Jim? Uh, I am watching uh, Bridgepoint Education, BPI and the New York Stock Exchange, simply because they have had a couple of blips with uh, their accreditation issues. They're a for-profit uh, a educator. charitable use of the word blip. Yeah, well, 55% in a week down. I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting week We call last that week. a punch in the face in yeah. America. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit lower, I think. But anyway, um, you know, it was uh, it was a bad week for BPI last week, and really, you know, their second quarter numbers when it come out, I think they're uh, August seventh. They'll be fine, 
but their business may be under severe attack and maybe shifting greatly. So it'll be interesting to see what, who cares what the earnings are. It'll be interesting to see what the company and what the management says about how they're going to navigate this suddenly very difficult waters they found themselves in. And I'll be very interested on that. Joe, what about you? I've got two. Google's my fave. And I think their conference call is always interesting, partially because they don't give guidance, which I like. They're not mm-hmm. kowtowing towards Wall Street. Um, but the big trend right there is that cost per click, so the amount of revenue they get for every ad people click on, has been falling. And it's tough to tell whether that's because of the shift to mobile and emerging markets or if it's just softness in the business. I think it'll be interesting to see what the new results are. And I think there's kind of a latent upside here where Google recently took down the privacy barrier between products. And so now they can use information from, say, right. you know, Google search to better target ads to you on YouTube. And so my hunch, and I think it's a pretty reasonable one, is that they're going to be able to raise revenue per click and serve you up more relevant ads and drive more clicks by doing that. But you know, we'll see how that actually transfers into numbers. And the other one you're watching? eBay. Uh, they report after hours today, and I'm a huge PayPal fan. I think that's a great business, and you know they've had a lot of upward trajectory in terms of transactions per customer and number of customers retails care, retailers carrying it. So I'm just curious to follow it. I think it's a great little story. All right. We'll end there. Joe Maker, Jim Gillies. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Jim Gillies' week concludes tomorrow, so <laughs> tune in. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.